Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Figure out what it means for us as people to live um, a little bit fuller lives, a little bit more engaged lives, and lives that are a little bit more empowered. Um, we look at... Um, you know, the, these two images, these are, is an image of Almont, an image from Carlton Place, and, and these are the sort of towns where we draw most of our community from, and these are the people that we sort of want to connect with and reach. Uh, we crunched the numbers a while ago, we keep repeating this number 26,000. There's 26,000 in these two communities that aren't affiliated or connected with church at all. Uh, they're not uh, people who would even think necessarily some of them coming up on a Sunday morning, it just wouldn't be on their grid. They would be at home, they'd be watching TV. TV or looking at their phones or out shopping or whatever. And, and maybe that number 26,000 is too big a number for us to feel like we're going to reach. And that's just too vague and nebulous. But you guys, if you think personally, we talked about this last week, you each know a few of them. Like you know one or two people and you're connected with them and have relationship with them. And the question is, how do you reach them? How do you connect with them? And that's a question, of course, that we're asking uh, from a big picture perspective in the church all across uh, North America. Um, and around the world is how do Christians reach the people uh, they care for. Um, in, in our town and in um, our area of the world, the, the sort of Western world, we're sort of, uh, could be described as being caught between two gorillas. There's, there's a couple of uh, ideas or thoughts or movements or ways of being that we sort of consistently find in, in people's thinking in the Western world um, that are sort of constantly in a place of, of tension with the church or a place of, of difficulty. So when you think of the people that you want to connect with and the people you want to reach and the people that you want to get to know, there are these sort of ideologies that are pretty consistent things that you'll connect with in each one of them. And they're the things that make us intimidated. That's why I use the image of gorillas, uh, piggybacking on, a, on another preacher's idea. But um, the, the, there's a way in which we're intimidated by these things. And, and when we think about connecting with our friends, we don't know how to relate to the church to them because of these things. And, and if, you, if you wanted to put names on them, uh, one of them could be social progressivism. Now, that's not entirely a bad thing, right? There's some amazing things that are happening as we develop as a society, as we learn to care for people, as we learn to be uh, more inclusive, as we learn to be more loving, there's some good things there. But then there's also, uh, in, in some of the community that drives that in our country, there's a great hostility towards Christianity. And we're seeing uh, Christians seen as um, people who are uh, not able to connect with the culture. We're, we're, when I tell people in other parts of the country that we're able to even have church, here in this high school, they're like, whoa, we are, we are not even allowed to do this in our, in our schools anymore. We can't have churches in our schools anymore. There's, there's a disconnect there because we as a church are seen as something that doesn't fit with a, with a broader agenda. And then the other gorilla that we wrestle with is a sort of a, like an atheistic materialism, a view that the world is just not God, God in it. And that's just old school. That's the old thing. That's the past. Um, and that really what's important is just our material lives, the here and the 
now that we're living in. And, and none of that stuff that's spiritual is really uh, relevant to us. It just doesn't fit. We're just going to go on with our lives and do our thing and, uh, and live life that way. And if we look at this gorilla over here, the uh, sort of social progressivism side by, by some of those folks that you would encounter, and again, we're not talking just societally, we're talking about the people that you know and you have friendships with, they would see the church as just some kind of stodgy, religious, legalistic thing that they would look at and they would sort of say like, like you guys have a bunch of rules and you have a bunch of moral uh, uh, parameters that don't seem to fit with us. I don't, I don't think that makes sense. You have a really uh, puritanical view of sexuality and, and, and that, how does that fit with me? Uh, some of you seem like you're hateful and they read what happens on the blogosphere and Twitter and they see, you know, hate speech and they think Christians are, are a hate-filled group of people. That's part of the narrative that's being played. And, and in some cases, the church is just seen as impotent. Like we're not doing anything to, to help the poor. We're not doing anything to care for people. We're not doing anything in the realm of social justice. We're just here uh, having funny little meetings and funny little rooms and who knows what's going on in them. So how is the church even, even relevant to me? And then on this side, some of the people that we're talked to, uh, one church is just an unknown. Uh, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus, isn't in our cultural mindset like it was before. It's just something that's way in the background. Like people don't know Bible stories. People don't know uh, the stories that, they've, that we would have learned in Sunday school. They just, it's just something that's like, way background for them. It's just a complete unknown. It's a mystery to them. Some of them would say that Christianity, when you look at it, uh, they're reading you know, popular atheists like Dawkins and people like that and saying, hey, it's just irrational. It just doesn't make sense. They're just, you know, people who have just completely abandoned reason. And there's no point in, in following that, no point in believing that. And other people would just say, hey, there, it's just fake. It's just phony. It's just guys with swoopy hair and, uh, you know, guys who are like trying to have jet planes when they don't need them. And, and, and scandals and all kinds of things like that. It's just a fake phony thing. So really when we think of all of that that we're hearing from media and culture and society and we as a church are thinking, okay, how do we make an impact? How do we share the Jesus story with our friends? And we put all of that up there. It's just intimidating for us, isn't it? It's just intimidating. And that's been my story as I've talked to friends or I talk to people on the streets. There's something still, I described this last week, when you go to talk to a friend who doesn't know Jesus, you know, your palms begin to sweat and your knees begin to knock and you're like, I, I, I don't even begin sharing this part of my journey with you. Would you say that's safe to say that we're just, we're, we're a little bit intimidated? as a people by these gorillas. But the church, you know, has to make an answer uh, to these things. We have to uh, meet the challenge. And so we're trying, and we as a church, we at OVV, we are trying to meet the challenge in some, some powerful ways. And the church in America is trying to meet the challenge. We are a church that's growing in an in a area where churches just aren't growing. Churches are in decline. This is a hard ground, but we as a church are able to grow. We're trying to meet the challenge in some different ways. We're trying to uh, meet legalism with uh, the idea that, hey, there's something really relevant here in God's moral law. There's a way of living that's relevant to your life that will impact you in a positive way that will help you grow and be a better person. 
Uh, we're not hateful. Uh, we love people. We're accepting. We're going to look you in the eyes and we're going to show you the affection of God that we care for you. Uh, you might think we're hateful. You might think we're racist, but we're, we're not. We have uh, friends. We care for people. We love. We're committed deeply. And we're trying to live that way. Uh, we, we are not impotent. We are engaged in areas of social justice, though there's so much more that we want to do. So much more that we want to do. Um, and, and on the other side, uh, the unknown story of what Christianity is, we're trying to figure out creative ways to tell the gospel. We're engaged with Alpha courses. as at an Alpha weekend uh, this last, like yesterday. Uh, we're engaged with uh, Sunday school programs to invite children into uh, church space to begin to hear the story of Jesus and make sure that's not lost. Uh, to our culture. Uh, we're engaged in apologetics. We're uh, trying to make it really clear to people that the story of the gospel uh, is rational, that it makes sense, that you can track with it, that it has logical coherence, that uh, the Bible is a document that is historical that you can trust, uh, that Christianity uh, and rationality can lead you to God, because God is both someone who is meant to be felt and someone who is meant to be experienced intellectually. He is real. He is there. You can encounter him, and we can see his story in history. And of course, we're trying to be authentic people. We're trying to be people that are, that are real uh, and honest about our flaws. One of the ways we don't do it as often as we used to, but we used to almost always start church and just say, hey, welcome to OVV where we're all people with messes of lives. We're not trying to put on a show for you here. We're not trying to uh, say that we're perfect. We're not trying to say that we have it all together. We're just people who have found Jesus, and we're trying to authentically walk this thing out and allow him to transform us and change us and grow. And you can come and see the growth along with us so that we're not trying to be some sort of fake thing. Like, I'm pretty sure there are not gold faucets in the bathroom uh, back there. <laughs> we're just trying to be real deal people, blue jeans and t-shirt kind of folk, right? Um, but all of that, all of that stuff that we're doing, it is having an impact. It is uh, helping the church grow. We are connecting with people. But you know, as well as I do, that that isn't enough. When you think of talking to your friends and you are realizing that they think the church is irrelevant because we're not engaged on issues of, of justice. And we look at what we do and what we're able to do and what we're able to put together. If we look at ourselves uh, compared to government resources and other agencies that are out there, we care for people as beautifully as we can and there's so much more that we want to do, but we can't stand on a social justice record and say, yeah, we've solved all of the problems in society so far. We got that covered. Come to our church. Right? That, that doesn't cut it. And when we talk about apologetics or sharing of the gospel on the other side, uh, you and I have had conversation after conversation with people sort of logically outlining uh, the importance of the Jesus story and what it means. And we know it unlocks something for people. It makes it really possible and it's absolutely essential for them to be able to see that there's logical coherence to the gospel, that there's something that connects. They need that peace. Uh, to be able to follow, to know that they're not being irrational, to know that they're not uh, just being foolish and following the gospel. But that doesn't fully win a heart, does it? So how do you fully win hearts? How are hearts actually won? 
And the reality is, is that hearts are won by spirit-empowered community. Hearts are actually won when all of this stuff that we're doing, uh, all of the stuff that we're engaged in in terms of social justice, all of the stuff that we're engaged in in terms of uh, trying to create a loving, accepting, and kind community, when all of that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show us what that looks like. Um, on, on the one side, we can be relevant and we can have a moral law that seems like it's good and it's okay and it's, uh, it's going to add something to your life. But if it doesn't have the Holy Spirit filling it with prophetic authority that gets to the very heart of the issues of why people are broken and create a space where people are powerfully transformed by the presence of God because they know all of a sudden that God knows about their life and he cares about them. When somebody has an encounter with God where they encounter Christian morality and the prophetic impetus of the Holy Spirit meeting that, then transformation happens. We can do accepting and make a, a, a great kind community, but unless the presence of God is here in the midst of it, this love that we feel and that we offer is just kind of like a, a, hey, a, a fake acceptance, right? Because we know that we do that all the time. We're like, hey, yeah, I just accept you, and I'm just going to capitulate to everything uh, else in culture. I'm just going to let uh, Christian morality go, but I don't really want to be your friend. Right? We, we let that stuff go, and we know that no transformation can come. The only thing that gives us credibility uh, to be in people's lives and be accepting of them in a way that is going to bring transformation is for that to be met with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, social justice is really good, but we've had people time and time again, uh, we'll give them food and we'll care for them and we'll do amazing things. And that's just a gift that we give to say, hey, we love you. We want you to know that Jesus loves you. And, I, and I've just seen time and time again people accept that gift and say hey thanks for that and just walk away and they would still not ever darken the door of a church and that's okay we will continue to give that way but when I've seen somebody radically and miraculously healed from an illness or something that they struggle with and delivered then, then a real connection is made so we need the Holy Spirit to meet us in all of these natural things. Same with the gospel and, and the sense of the presence of the God. If we're sharing the gospel and it's met with like an authentic and apologetics and it's met with like, like Holy Spirit-filled conviction, the Holy Spirit pointing to somebody and saying to somebody in their heart, hey, in this moment, hear this story that you're hearing. This is something from God for you. You need to be convicted about your life and know that you need to seek some change. Then all of a sudden, the gospel is heard uh, and made clear. Uh, same with authenticity. We can be authentic and hip and cool, but it just looks like we're trying to connect with culture unless we have a spirit-filled uh, a way of being people of incredible character so that we can be true people of trust and that we have a spirit-filled courage that allows us to be really genuinely vulnerable with people and let people see the struggles that we're facing with. And when you have a relationship with someone where they see the struggles that you're struggling with are the same struggles that they're struggling with, then they can trust you and you can begin to share the Jesus story and you can show them how he's walking that gospel out in your life and how that is authentic good news. So we need the Holy Spirit uh, to meet us in all of that. What makes it all work is when we as a community become genuinely and continually empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
and learn to flow in his gifts. And this series is meant to sort of begin to unpack the theological foundations of that and to begin to unpack what that looks like for us. How do we identify our gifts as people? How do I know what God has gifted me to do and what God has gifted me to be? Uh, How do I walk in that in community in a way that's safe and beautiful? And the great challenge for that as a a community is that uh, we are a very diverse community. Right? We're a very diverse community. We come from all kinds of backgrounds. We have Charismatics and Catholics and Baptists and Pentecostals and Wesleyan and people who have no Christian background whatsoever. And all of this seems like Holy Spirit stuff. What the heck are you guys talking about? Like, what does this, what is this spirit even mean? Like, what is this crazy stuff that you're talking about? Uh, for, and, and, and that means that we've got to deal with a whole bunch of different things in the room. There are some of us uh, who grew up in, in charismatic churches and saw, like, has anybody ever seen anything wacky? One or two, like, really wacky, off-the-wall, like, things. Some of us have been actually burnt in charismatic churches. We've experienced spiritual abuse and we've experienced hurt. And so, and some of us grew up in places where we didn't have any of that sort of charismatic experience. Some of us, we have people here from brethren communities where you would have grown up in Sunday school being taught that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are something that ceased with the apostles and that's not something for us to live in now. That's one of the most bizarre things about Ottawa Valley Vineyard, this church that we have, is we planted a charismatic church. We planted a vineyard church. And when we planted the church, we said, hey, God, would you just send us who you want to send us? And that we felt like that was a direction from God. You just work with who I send you. And so we planted a charismatic church uh, that a whole pile of beautiful, beloved brethren people were attracted to. So we planted a charismatic church with cessationists. Cessationist is someone who believes the gift ceased with the apostles. Now, what's God doing with that? <laughs> right? Like, that's crazy town. But I think what that's done is that's allowed us to take uh, the beauty of the charismatic movement and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world and to take it and to understand it and to take that DNA and to fuse it with a, a DNA that loves the scriptures and loves the Bible and is absolutely grounded in the word of God and grounded in a need for it to be authentic and true and right and good. We've taken these two streams in our community and I think God is gonna use that to to make something really, really strong and really beautiful. But what it means is that we need to just take some time as a community, if we're going to move in the gifts of the Spirit in a healthy, authentic way, uh, to really build and find a common language that makes sense that makes sense for our Christian Reform folks, that makes sense for our Baptist folks, that makes sense for uh, the whole theological spectrum that's here and to create a way of us uh, moving forward and being together in a way that's powerful, in a way that can actually transform these two communities that we really love. And so the series is going to, that's the longest uh, series intro ever, but what the, what the series is going to do is going to begin to unpack these things. We're going to do uh, f- two five-week sections. Uh, the first five weeks is going to be this week, Foundation. We're going to talk really deeply next week. Jake's going to be speaking on character. Uh, and then we're going to just begin to plow through the gifts and begin to just look through the lists of them in the scripture and unpack what some of them mean and begin to uh, speak about them in a way that will help you identify maybe, hey, is this a gift I might have? 
is this a gift that I might have? Is it administration, helps? Uh, is, do I have a gift of mercy? Understand what that means. Might I have the gift of teaching or leadership? Might I have the gift of prophecy? Uh, might I have the gift of tongues? All of these things that seem like stuff that we just don't talk about much. We're going to try to just demystify it and say, what does it work like? What does it look like for your average everyday Christian to begin to move in these things that God has for us? But enable for us to do that, in order for us to do that, we, we're going to have to lay a solid biblical foundation for it. And so that's what we're going to do. And, and here's the big idea uh, for this morning. Here's the, the thought, and we're going to just unpack this in the scriptures. Uh, this is what we want to understand, that Jesus while remaining fully God, didn't operate out of his godness, but modeled a spirit-filled life so he could learn to do the things he did. And we're just going to unpack that scripturally, but uh, we, we look at Jesus um, always not just as our, um, uh, you know, an example, not just as our leader, but, but we look at his life and we look at his story and we look at his way of being and we say, that was a model for us. He was doing that and acting that way and living that way so that we could see him doing it and we could learn from him and imitate the way he lived and imitate his way of being. And so that's the foundation for us theologically. And I'm just going to unpack these ideas. Uh, Jesus was fully God is, is a first important idea, right? Uh, something for us to understand. And there might be some of us in the room who don't have a Christian background at all, or this might be totally new for you. But to understand that Jesus wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't just a person who uh, God kind of liked and said, hey, I'm going to just put a spotlight on that guy so that everybody learns from him. That Jesus came from the Father, was the Father, was God. And the scripture I'm going to use to just for us to unpack that, there's lots of places we could go, uh, is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Let's just read this together. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he emptied himself of majesty and power. Uh, that's in brackets uh, just because some translations include those words and some don't. He emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So let's just unpack a few of those words uh, sort of line by line. First, Jesus who being in very nature God. We talked about that just a second ago. Jesus was God. Jesus was God. We see it in John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, and, and the whole story of him becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Uh, Jesus was God. So that's when we see him, we see God. Now what's odd about Jesus is that Jesus um, didn't act fully like God on earth in the sense that he had the character of God, he had uh, the uh, personhood of God, but he wasn't going around and saying, out of my nature, out of who I am, I'm going to create a planet over there, and I'm going to make, uh, let's have two moons. Does anybody think we should have two moons? The sun doesn't seem entirely bright enough now. Let's make another sun. Uh, he, he, he took that, that creative majesty and power, and as it says in Philippians, he laid that aside. He emptied that, himself of that, and took on uh, the very nature of a servant. So he laid that down. Uh, he, 
he remained who he was. He remained uh, God, very God, creator of the universe. But he took that creator-ness and he took that godness, and he laid it aside and functioned in the body of a human being. Amazing. Well, if he did that, though, how did he do the miracles? How did he do the miracles? How did, how did those happen? He didn't do those out of his creatorness. How did he do them? What was he modeling for us? How did he do them as a servant, not just out of his being? What, is, what does that look like? How did, how did that work? And the answer to that question is he, he did it through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see this uh, just as we look in um, Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus' baptism to understand uh, how that worked. Because, because before this point, before the baptism of Jesus, right, we don't see any miracles. We don't see him adding any new teaching. We don't see him in the synagogues. We don't see crowds following him. We have one example from his early life where he was in the temple and it said that he had amazing understanding of the scriptures. But we don't see uh, the miracles. We don't see anything of his ministry. And then all of a sudden, he's baptized, and things begin to happen. And so it says this uh, in, in Matthew chapter 3, 16, uh, all the way through to Matthew 4, verse 1. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice said from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So one, just this, this is a really beautiful piece uh, speaking to the Trinity. It's just a theological piece that we don't want to miss along the way, almost an aside. But here in this moment of Jesus' baptism, we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we have an affirmation that Jesus is, uh, is a part of the Godhead. He is part of the three in one. He is God himself. So there he is in that space, um, in the space of, with the Holy Spirit, with that relationship, with that connection. And then we look at um, this moment after the Holy Spirit lands on him, it says immediately after this, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So all of a sudden, Jesus, who was going about living his life as a child, as the son of Joseph the carpenter, learning what he could in the synagogues, probably following around a few rabbis, probably getting some splinters and some dirt on his feet, walking through, getting to know his people, living among his family. All of a sudden, Jesus didn't decide within himself to go out into the wilderness. He was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself who is fully God, was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led and guided by the other members of the Trinity. He was led and guided by the Godhead. And remember, he's modeling something for us, that we are meant to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. He's modeling something for us. Before that moment, he had uh, no ministry impetus. We want to look at, at a couple other scriptures to see this. Um, and this is, again, looking at uh, Luke, the same event, but looking at Luke's version of it. Now, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And if you look at that word led in the Greek, it actually means forced or pushed in everywhere else it's translated. So Jesus, who remained fully God, was forced and pushed into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. 
We're seeing Jesus not acting out of his nature, not acting out of who he is as God, but being led by this third part of the Trinity, being led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is being led by the Spirit into the wilderness or pushed by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. So Jesus uh, came in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't using his power. He wasn't using his divine nature. He was remaining fully God, but it wasn't out of his own godness that he went about doing miracles and healing people and touching people. He was doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit to model something for us, that we would be people who would do the things that we're called to do, not out of our own nature, not out of our own natural gifts, not of our own natural abilities, but to do things that we're called to do out of the power of the Holy Spirit. That we're meant to move in a power that is beyond our own human and natural abilities. He modeled that for us. And he was teaching in their synagogues, he was doing miracles, and everyone praised him. And there's some things that we just wonder, like what, what it was Jesus talking about, uh, moving in spiritual gifts or moving in the powerful uh, power of the Spirit like that. But looking at other parts of the story, like what is he saying? I only do what I see my Father doing. Well, if he's fully God, why, why doesn't he just do what he, he wants to do? He laid aside his majesty and took the very nature of a servant. So Jesus a member of the Godhead served the Holy Spirit to model something for us. I ever wonder why he said, I don't know when I am returning, only my Father in heaven knows. What? You're God. Why don't you know? Like, you should have the memo. Like, is there something wrong with inter-office communications here? Like, like, did somebody not send out an email? Like, did you not, like, did you not read the newsletter, Jesus? We have this Godhead newsletter thing. How many of you read the Godhead newsletter? Like, Jesus, did you miss it? Like, what's going on? Did you click and open? Like, it was on our website, Jesus. Like, get with the program, right? But he didn't know. He was uh, subject to that need of communication with the Father, right? Um, Jesus withdrew often into the wilderness to pray. What does God need to pray for? Right? What does he need to pray for? Like, what, what is he doing? Like, he's talking to himself. It doesn't make any sense, but he laid aside his majesty, laid aside his ability to act and move out of his godness to be dependent on the Father through the Spirit to be listening, to model something for us so that we would know that we need instruction from the Father through our relationship with the Holy Spirit if we're going to be servants of God. And that's the theological foundation for why we as a church, we as a people, uh, need the Holy Spirit. Like, like how generous of Jesus to lay that down for us and model it for us. Like how incredibly generous and how costly that must have felt for him. Like, can't you imagine, like, there, Jesus, like, some of the stuff he saw, like, weren't there a few little times when you think he would probably be like, crush, like, I just want to crush your head, right? Did you ever do that as kids? Was I the only one who did that? Crush, crush, right? Jesus, I can smoke you. I can take you out. Like, no, you're not sticking that spear in me. No, you're not whipping me, right? But he laid aside his godness and was subject even to death on a cross, Right? painful and costly, an incredible gift. But what it does is it shows us that we can move out of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit too. 
Um, so he lived this life of a servant, uh, dependent on the Father through the Holy Spirit, and he modeled doing life in, in the same way we need to do it. The same way he did it is the way we do it. And we see that in Scripture. We see that when he's teaching it. This is what he taught us in John chapter 14. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And, and, he, and I love that it's they, and it's really clear in the, in the, in the text as well. It's not like, like you, just you guys, the apostles that I'm speaking to right now. It's anyone who believes in me, right, will do the things that I have done and will do even greater things. Now, how many of you, like, when you hear that, you're just like, come on. Like, this is hyperbole. <laughs> like, Jesus, what are you talking about? That we would do greater things than you who raise the dead casting out demons, healing the sick, prophecy. But we look at the life of the church, we look at the story of the church, we can see story after story after story, and we see the cumulative body of Christ reaching the world with his grace and his love and his mercy and his miracles far beyond what he could do as a single man walking around Palestine. He reached the world by empowering his church to live and act and do and be as he was in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're left with uh, all, you know, some simple instruction, and we're going to begin to unpack some of that. But I want us to just uh, camp for just a minute on Ephesians chapter 5, 18. Um, and this is just Paul speaking to the church, and we're not even going to look at the context there too much, but he's just giving instruction to the church for the mission that they're called to do. And he just says, in order to do it, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see in the scriptures that uh, the Holy Spirit is a sign, is a seal, uh, is somebody that you receive when you give your life to Jesus. But Paul is talking to people who have already had that experience. Paul is talking to believers, and he says to them, okay, you're believers, you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, uh, the, you have a relationship with God, now keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that language, the Greek, in terms of the way that's constructed, is like, be being filled. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so all of you who've given your lives to Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit when you gave your life to Jesus. Uh, your life was sealed with that. You had his presence in you. But there are for you going forward fillings and fillings and fillings and fillings after filling after filling after filling after filling after filling, after filling a continual being filled with the Holy Spirit because we kind of leak, right? There's more for you. And, and, and we go back and we visit this, uh, these images that we had of our, our friends in Carlton Place and the people that we care for and the people in Almont. We think, yeah, I, w I want to reach them. I want to, I want to care for them. But if you go back to that moment of your knees knocking and your palms being sweaty, and you feel like you don't know what to say, and you don't know what you say to beat back the gorillas that are in their heads, to, to cause an impact, to do a deep, 
authenticity in your relationship with them, uh, to share the gospel in a way that is uh, beyond just sharing the rational uh, aspects of Christianity and what it is so that they know that they can accept it. But, but how do we see the conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, come into that moment? The way it happens is that as you're filled, you pour your life out. As you receive gifts from God, uh, you give those gifts out, your gifts your abilities, your talents, and not just your natural ones, the spiritual ones that you may not know you even have, are gifts that God has given you to give. They're gifts that are meant to be given. And what we believe as a church, what I believe as a person, is that everyone who uh, is a believer and a follower of Jesus has spirit gifts given to them. And there's a whole spectrum in terms of where we're at on that. Some of us are still wrestling with, and we're going to look at more foundations and talk about character. Some of us are still wrestling with, hey, is this even for me? I, 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 I want gifts, but Lord, let it not be tongues. I'm just telling you right now. I don't. Like, like let's skip that one, <laughs> right? And there's some of you that are thinking like, man, this just sounds like super spiritual nonsense. I don't, I don't quite know what to think about this. This does not fit within my grid. There are some of you who are like raving charismatics are like, it's about time. Let's prophesy and get her on now. Let's do it. Right? But we're going to just navigate this together. But what I promise you is everyone here, everyone in this room who's given their lives to Jesus has more life of the Spirit to walk in than you are walking in now. There is more than you are walking in now. Now, what you're walking in is good. This isn't to make us feel inadequate. This isn't to make us feel small. But there's a mission field that we need to be empowered to reach. And God is kind and generous and gentle and wants to reach those people. He has a burning compassion for them that fights with our sense of smallness and inadequacy. And the way he beats our inadequacy is by generously offering to pour himself out into us and to release the gifts, to grow the church, to build up the body, to make it a place that demonstrates daily the power and the glory and the majesty of God. Because Jesus, who laid aside his majesty and didn't act out of the nature that he had, His life demonstrated majesty. His life demonstrated power. And our lives are meant to do that too. And so I want us to just sort of uh, take this uh, few moments at the end uh, of the sermon and just just share just a couple of moments of of my own story, uh, which some of you have heard and it'll be super boring. and, And for some of you, it'll be... It'll be a new story. And then for us to just pray to be in a place of openness to what the Lord has for us. Uh, for me, I grew up as a Baptist kid. I grew up uh, in, the, in the church. I grew up, you know, going to Sunday school and going to camp. And I gave my life to the Lord uh, when I was 12 years old up at Christopher Lake Baptist Camp in Saskatchewan and had this incredible experience of knowing God and did what teenagers do uh, from that point and sort of go to Sunday school and go to church and live sort of separate lives for school. And your friends don't know you're a follower of Jesus, but you're doing the church thing on the weekend. And uh, when I was 17 years old, um, I had this uh, radical experience of a filling with the Holy Spirit that was a call to ministry. 
for me at that time. So as you guys know my story, I was 17 years old. It's a Christmas uh, Eve just before that on the 23rd, and I opened up my Bible, and I thought, I'm a Christian kid. I should read the Christmas story. So I went to open it up, and, and before I, I read a word on the page, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, came into my room, and I could literally feel like Jesus standing behind me. I could feel heat on my back, and I heard his voice uh, speak just, just four words. He said, minister to my people, and he called me to ministry. And I'm saying this in such a level, chill tone, like it's an everyday thing, but uh, it, it was absolutely revolutionary. It absolutely radicalized uh, my life. In that moment, I felt like a worm. I felt small. I felt like Jesus knew every sin I'd ever did. He knew every wicked thing in my heart, and that he was holy and powerful, and that he, uh, he, I was utterly different from him. I felt like an absolute nothing. And in the same moment, I felt more deeply and powerfully and intimately loved than you could possibly imagine. He knew everything about me and everything wicked in me and loved me and was calling me. And from that moment, uh, everything changed. I went from being a Christian who was sealed with the Holy Spirit, who knew that the Holy Spirit was a thing, that had sung hymns with the words Holy Spirit in it and had read the Bible with Holy Spirit in it. But all of a sudden, I'm now reading the Bible and I'm saying, reading the book of Acts and Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit came, and tongues of fire, and speaking in tongues, and now all of a sudden I'm reading the Bible and believing it. Right? Like, we got to believe the book. Like, the stuff that's in here, why isn't it out here? And so I would do crazy things. I would read um, this, this bit about Paul saying, you know, I wish I, I spoke in tongues. I speak in tongues more than any, any of you, and, and I want for you to speak in tongues and instructions about what that means in the meeting. But I'm like, okay, this tongues thing, God. And this is without any charismatic background, without anybody to coach me, without really anybody in my life who at that stage was giving me guidance on what that, that meant. I had some kooky friends that I thought that's what they were about, but I didn't yet have enough of a relationship with them to go and learn. So I just opened up the Bible said, okay, God, if this gift of tongues is a real thing, can I have the gift of tongues? And I began to pray in tongues. <laughs> That's not what Baptists do. Baptists don't pray in tongues. But I received this incredible gift and this incredible flow of encouragement. And I began to see, I began to experience uh, prophetic things. I began to, uh, I, I had crazy experiences. I would go and I would sit in a restaurant and I would see words written over people's heads. I, I remember sitting one time in a restaurant and I saw written over this guy's head the word adultery. Fiery, literally fiery letters written above his head with my, in, 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 with spiritual eyes. And I went up to him and I said, so are you in an adulterous relationship? <laughs> Because I was young and stupid. <laughs> and he began to weep. He began to weep. I said, the Lord loves you, but he wants you back with your wife. And I went and sat down and had my breakfast. <laughs> but that was an empowered moment. And I think 
that, like, that's an old story. That's way too old a story. And there's all kinds of reasons in terms of my own journey, all kinds of pain and all kinds of struggle. But I am longing for some fresher stories. And I was at the Holy Spirit weekend with the, uh, with the people last, uh, last night. Uh, they're up at the cottage, up at Rolston's cottage. Uh, and they're there, and there's some like pre-Christians and some new Christians in the room, and they've been through the Alpha course together, Anna and I went up there to lead worship and spend some time with them. And they've been through it, like sort of the rational arguments for the faith. And, uh, and here was the section on the Holy Spirit, and they listened to Nikki Gumbel's teaching on the Holy Spirit. And then Tom just says, so does anybody want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And you could tell they're still completely in rational mode. And it's like, the room just kind of went like this. Like, like just like, oh, this is crazy, man. Like, what is, what is this guy talking about? And Nikki Gumbel teaches it way better than, than I could. Um, but you know, in that moment, you know, Tom said, why don't you grab your guitar? And I grabbed my guitar. And I played a couple of chords, and I sang a song that we sang this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here and invited the presence of the Spirit into the room. And all of a sudden, those hearts, those people that were in a place of, of rationality, and I don't know if I'm yet on with this Christian thing. I don't know if I get it. I don't know if I can sign on for this. I watched those hearts soften, and I said, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come sit in the center of the room and let us pray for you and lay hands on you. And I unpacked that very carefully to provide a, a framework for it. And in that moment, those people who, for them, Christianity was a rational exercise and something that they might be able to choose became a relationship with a person who loved them. Became a relationship with a presence relationship with the power of God. And it didn't diminish the intellectual framework. It didn't diminish the apologetics. It didn't min diminish the theology or the importance of what they had learned about who Jesus was, but it made it alive for them and made Jesus a person that they wanted a relationship with. And, and, and we began to pray for them and we began to see, you know, some of us had words for them and began to speak into their lives in ways that they, they, like they are like, how could you know that? You've never seen me before. How could you know that about me? And it's God who knew that about them. We're meant to live in ways that are natural and honest and intellectual and thoughtful, and we are also meant to live in the supernatural. We're meant to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough for us to just live up here. We need all of God. We need the Godhead. We need the Father. We need the Son. We need the Holy Spirit. And that encounter with the presence of God and the miraculous is what is going to be the thing that will allow all of our ways of trying to engage our culture to actually land in a way that will make people new and that will cause people to fall in love with Jesus. That's where revival is for us. 
So my encouragement to you over the next weeks of this series, this might be, we might have all kinds of different theological frameworks for what this is and how it means and, and what it means. And you may have tons and tons of questions and tons of wrestling. You may have old pain associated with this. You may have fear associated with this. But my encouragement to you is to just stick with us over these weeks and process it and let us come through to language that makes sense so we can find a way of moving in the power of the Holy Spirit together as a community in a way that can transform us as a church, in a way that can reach 26,000, an impossible number, however many God wants us to reach. By the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, it is possible. It's not if we live just in our own nature, in our own abilities. But if we engage the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and begin to move in the way that Jesus did, we are going to see amazing things happen. We're going to see amazing things happen. I'm prophesying now. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.